Okay, well, welcome everyone to the fourth episode of the Polizian Company podcast. Today we are joined by our special guest, Bill Tatman. Um, I could introduce him. I know that he is a big part of a lot of College of Business and Education students' lives and former lives in Whitewater, but I don't know everything about him, so I want you to introduce yourself a little bit. Tell us what you did at Whitewater, how much time you spent there, everything like that. Oh, that's good stuff. Okay, well, I'm actually a Whitewater grad um, back in 83, as I was reminded earlier today, a long time ago. Um, and I actually spent my first 19 years working uh, in public accounting uh, for Deloitte, or what is at least now Deloitte. Um, and then I left there, and uh, I had done a lot of recruiting at, at uh, Deloitte, so I had uh, contacts back at Whitewater, and the chair of the department asked me to come back and do some teaching. Um, so I, I went back, got, an, got a master's from um, UW-Milwaukee, so I could go back and teach, and, and uh, taught uh, at Whitewater for 12 years. Um, so I taught introductory courses, I taught the auditing course, um, I was in charge of an internship program that the, the department put on, and uh, the accounting organization, Beta Alpha Psi, was the advisor for that. So had a lot of good memories from doing a lot of different things there. You know, this might become a theme for today's topic or today's podcast, but uh, as Devin said, I'm a Whitewater graduate, he's a Whitewater graduate. I know that you're very popular with like a decade's worth of students. And do you mind just talking a little bit about like, I, I think it's the internship program, but like mm -hmm. how did you feel being able to get to know so many students and being able to help them grow and become successful? And I have to imagine, and I know that you're still in touch with a lot of them. Like, I don't think I've ever asked you that question though. Oh, you never have. Um, I, I actually feel uh, very privileged, very honored to, to be able to do that. You know, one of the reasons I went back to teach was I wanted to give something back. I think you hear that a lot. Um, but I don't think I realized how much I would be getting back in return. Um, between the internship program um, and uh, the Beta Alpha Psi experience where you got to work with uh, young folks and, and trying to get them to develop leadership skills, things like that, um, extremely rewarding. And to your point, I stay in touch with um, probably uh, a larger number than I care to admit. But whether it's LinkedIn, whether it's grabbing lunch, um, whether it's uh, a phone call once in a while, I, I do stay in touch with a lot of them. And it's been really um, kind of humbling and, and gratifying at the same time to see so many folks, like yourself, uh, that are progressing so well in their careers. And it's fun staying in touch with them. Um, I, I can't help myself when I when I do meet up with some of them. I'm still giving that advice. Um, I think that's an old person thing, but I think <laughs> it's true. also a, it's a teacher thing. Um, but it, it, it's it's great to see them grow. And um, again, I have now, well, I, I've been there a dozen years. Probably had 150 students uh, each time. Not that I keep in touch with all of them, but there's to your point. You know, well over a thousand students that pass through the door, and, and I'm fortunate to stay in touch with maybe a hundred of them. And and to me, that has been probably the most gratifying part of, of the whole experience. I mean, I enjoyed the teaching, I enjoyed that aspect, but it's the other stuff. It's it's getting them a job or helping them with the resume or um, an interview or helping them develop the skills. That's that's the fun part, the the non textbook stuff. Yeah. So, very That's fortunate. great. I know that I'm I'm one of them, and I'm not even an accounting major, so I know I've always appreciated it. So I'm sure they do as well. Uh, it's interesting. You you hear a lot about the teachers, the professors that help shape people's lives, and so it's it's nice to have one 
that we're talking to and to just know personally. So. Yeah, no, and then, like I said, it's it's fun being here. I, I, this is when you asked me to do a podcast. I'm like, well, good, good luck with that. This is my first <laughs> podcast, and I probably screwed up enough classroom teaching. I hope I don't screw this up. I'm but, sure though. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> but no, it, it's uh, it, it's it's great to be here, and it's great to be kind of on the other side a little bit. Yeah, so I never had you as a professor, uh, although I, our times overlapped, um, but I knew your name just because so many of my friends and my roommates had you and admired you and, and liked you. Uh, I know James did have you as a professor, so talk to me about how you guys got to know each other. <laughs> Give me the dirty details about everything. Oh, I'd like wow. to hear it. I'd I, like to hear both sides of the story as well. Well, okay. Um, well, who I'll start. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> who, who gets to set the ground rules? Um, so my very first time teaching um, was uh, when I actually had James year class. one of 12 year first one of 12 ever. first class introductory accounting I'm scared beyond belief yeah. not knowing what I'm doing and again you you now show up in front of 35 people and very quickly James stood out mainly because um, at that time he didn't have hair and um, didn't really understand <laughs> I'll accounting. Tell, I'll, tell, I'll talk about why <laughs> yeah okay, <laughs> um, but uh, not surprisingly, he wasn't afraid to ask questions and stuff in class, but he came to my office quite a bit. Mm. And um, we talked not just about accounting, but he obviously had other things that he wanted to do. As he said, he's not an accounting major. So, you know, we got to talking about some of those things. And I think it's because we kind of went beyond just the classes. Sure, we'd need to talk about whatever problem we needed to get through, but it's the other stuff where we, I think, connected and stayed in touch. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that, I think that's mostly how it went. Uh, that's, that's how it went. Um, I think, you know, my version is not any different. I I think I was a sophomore, mm -hmm. and I won't go into a ton of detail. I actually, when I look back on Whitewater, I love Whitewater. I had a great time. It means a lot to me. But those early years, I was figuring things out, and I, I wasn't as happy as I was when I left. And so I, I had you for accounting. I don't think I declared myself as a marketing major yet. I was just kind of seeing what my options were. And one, so one, you know, I'm, I'm a little, not unhappy, but I'm not, I'm not loving Whitewater at this point. Two, I had mono, which I is why I that. had my shaved yeah, head. So I, I missed that. like a month of class. Is that a thing for mono? No, I just no. He just got dramatic and I, shaved it all off or something. I, I guess he went through something. Yeah, yeah I, you I know, there's no, there's yeah. no connection. But anyway, okay, well, I, so I, I had mono. Yeah, I guess that's not why. I, had <laughs> I don't know if we have enough time to go into that. Okay, okay, no. Um, but I think the thing that always stood out to me with Tapman was I, I trusted you, and like I said, I, I went to all your office hours, and I, I think what really solidified the relationship was I wanted to get involved more on campus. And I was in with some people at the student union, and they're all wonderful people as well, but I needed an advisor. And I asked you to be the advisor to my first group, and we don't have enough time to talk about that either, but you agreed yes. to, which was interesting because you were trying to get your foot in, not maybe your foot in, you were trying to make your name in accounting, I was trying to make my name in marketing, and you you left that world, or at least, you know, helped me with that, and I always really appreciated that. But and then that was we, a fun group. But that yeah. was a great group. Yeah. Um, but we've stayed in touch since then, mm -hmm. and I yep. could go on and on about the internship opportunities, and I just know what you did for me, you did for a lot of other students. So hopefully they're watching this too. And well, I, hopefully they are, and probably, maybe maybe hopefully they're not. I yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> depending, depending on how it worked out. But yeah, cool, great. great. 
I don't know where else to go, to be honest with you guys. Uh, I think we can talk about our different experiences and how business has changed. You know, obviously we have a little bit of an age gap between us three and we all have experience in marketing. So I guess we can talk about how have you seen students change in your time or the attitudes towards school or towards marketing or towards accounting in general? How have you just seen a shift and maybe we've lived through it and maybe you've experienced it in a different lens? How, what do you think has changed from the time you started teaching to maybe the way students are acting and learning now? Uh, I would say very different. Uh, obviously, I, well, not obviously, but I left before uh, COVID started and um, we certainly had online classes, but now virtually everything is online. Uh, certainly, I think part of was the teaching styles and what you needed to do. When I started, there were certainly online classes, but I think there was always a, a move to more and more of those types of things. And, and I also think um, one of the things that happened, at least on the teaching side, is, I hope, was there was trying to be a little bit more experiential learning, um, going beyond just the lectures and, and those types of, of things to get some real world projects and so forth. Um, students, um, I do think attitudes changed a little bit. Um, and I, I know that when I started, um, the students were um, very grateful for everything you did and, and really, I think, intent and really listened to it. And I don't want to say that that wasn't the case at the end, but I, but I do think that there was a, more of a feeling among students that what you were doing for them was expected. And I, and I hate that um, entitlement thing mm -hmm. that gets bandied about for, for your age because I don't think that's fair. But I do believe that there was more of an idea that I'm paying for my education, you are my teacher, you should kind of follow what I want to do when I want to do it. There was more of a, yeah, I know you have assignments too, but that doesn't really fit in with what I have in mind. And you're trying to say, well, uh, you're paying me, <laughs> true, but it's to give you a, a valuable experience and I can't do that if you don't um, at least try some of the things that I'm asking or within the deadlines because part of what you're trying to do is you're trying to get them set for life outside of college. Um, I think sometimes too many teachers only concentrate on you got to get through my class and I'm the most important class and they're so focused on that that they miss the broader things of what students need when they get out. I found that students started doing more of the, look, I just want to get through my class, I want to get my A, I want to move along, and you're the venue I have to do to do that versus really absorbing what you're, what you're trying to teach. Sure. Um, so I think that did change. Um, I think the other thing I saw was students, um, and I don't, I don't know if less confident is the word that I'm looking for, but um, as College is a place to learn, and I found more students being defensive or upset if they didn't get the 100 on the exam, and nobody got 100s on my exams, but they, they would be upset, and they'll try to offer explanations as to why they didn't get it right, and I'm like, well, that, that's all well and good, yes. but let me explain what the right answer is, and you telling me 10 reasons why you didn't get it right doesn't change the fact that it's not right, but there was this huge fear of being wrong. Yeah. And I and I and I sense that more as I was teaching that there's more of a fear of being wrong. Well, you're going to be wrong a heck of a lot longer than you're going to be right. Yeah. And the only way you learn is by being wrong and and stumbling. And I and I I don't know what to attribute it to. I don't know if it's just more of a culture of, you know, I can't be wrong or I, I don't want to disappoint my parents or I don't want to disappoint my friends or I have this thing where I always have to be right. Yeah. But I think that's a that's a 
dangerous thing to go down because again, you're you're young, you are supposed to learn, you're going to make mistakes. And I, so I've seen that kind of an attitude change and I'm, that's what you're asking. I think, you know, so again, it's just interesting because I, I was taught by you and I, I feel the same way of, you know, my problem has never been being, you know, too perfect. I was more interested in like getting something done and like moving on to the next. And that came with a lot of mistakes that I had to, to, <laughs> to work at and so forth. What, and you and I have talked about this, what I didn't realize until probably a couple of years ago was just, and everybody tells you this, and I think it's just a sign of probably getting older, but like you, you realize at a certain point that like there's things that you know that you don't know. Mm-hmm. And my best example of that is like, I always say that I took my routine for granted, right? Like when I went to school, I mean, that, that could be terrifying. That was a big deal and that makes people uncomfortable and so forth. But I had teachers, I had RAs, I had people at work that, you know, were guiding me and, you know, giving you that path to go down and so forth. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing that I'm most concerned about now is we see these young people come in and they do have all the answers. They do know everything. But the problem is, is they actually don't. And so there's no routine with work from home and there's a, a lack of ability to accept feedback and um, you know, part of it is just, I don't want to say like you need to break them because I, I don't want my own employees to watch this or colleagues to watch this and think, oh, that's what he's trying to do and so forth. But there is a, a certain, as a leader, as a boss, as a as a, a mentor, there is a, a duty to get somebody to a certain level. Correct. And there's growing pains associated with yep. that. And I don't know what the answer is either, but like, you know, I'm I'm just starting out with growing this company, but that's what's on my mind as far as how do you take that and i can't imagine that that was an issue in like the 80s 90s and 2000s it wasn't and and that by the way that's not perfect either i mean i think in the 80s and and 90s when i started um you did what you were told and you didn't question it that that's not the right answer either (laughs) sure but but i do think that there's there's a happy medium And, and you mentioned the feedback thing i think that's really big um did a little bit in your class probably more in the auditing the advanced classes but i used to have a lot of written projects or bigger projects and I would give a page or two of feedback and um, because I thought it's important that's again it's it's how you learn I think that the frustrating thing for me is many people say they want feedback but then when you give them feedback um, do they really accept it do they really have an open mind to it Um, or again do they start giving you explanations as to why and I think you to your point a lot of us think we know everything and and when you're younger I think that's probably happened from day one but I do believe there is there is more of a consensus that I know everything I don't need to um, be taught some things and if you tell me I'm wrong I'm gonna fight that or if I give you feedback that isn't uh, is more constructive in nature you're gonna explain why you really don't have that issue well you're never gonna progress if that's it so to your point I'm not you're not trying to break people but I am trying to get people to say feedback is good, but you have to actually absorb it, and that's how you're going to learn. I think that's interesting. Um, I mean, and for the record, you know, I went through my own growing pains, so this is all just stuff that I, I feel like I've become a little bit more enlightened on in, in recent time. Um, I say that because one of the things that I think about as far as giving feedback is the way I look at it is feedback can be given to somebody. And it's up to that person whether or not they want to accept it. So if if what I'm saying is like, you know what, I just really disagree with that, 
your prerogative, like fine and so Correct. forth. And I think there's also, and I learned this from another gentleman who, who helped me along some ways, that like, you know, it doesn't have to just be negative feedback. Like you can give no. all sorts of great feedback and then, hey, we need to work on this. And right. then, you know, and, and so I think, I'm guessing somebody who's between the ages of like 30 and 45 might not always, maybe they lead with the negative feedback sometimes. I guess I'm just speculating, yeah. but. I think it's positive. But to your point, look, feedback is just that it should be positive and constructive. I don't ever want to even say negative, but I do yes. think I do think that that's a big part. I think that one skill that um, continues to probably go down that you've heard about it is writing skills. I used to really emphasize written communication, and I don't think when you're in school you appreciate it. And I used to beat students up for grammar and all these other things, but um, a well-written piece of work, and clearly in the marketing area you better... Um, have, have that down but a good a well-written piece is always important and that carries over to the feedback side um, when I do evaluations of staff um, I've always done it so that I'm, I'm gonna try to tell you what you've done well and I at a minimum will put even if you're the best employee out there I'm gonna put three things that I think you can improve on and maybe it's even what takes you to the next level but it, I think it does help um, if you're not all negative or everything is constructive, but you got to give people a pat on the back and, and balance that. But that all comes down to good writing and, and really taking time in the evaluation process or just the regular feedback process. If you're, it, it doesn't have to be some formal written form of communication, but um, if you're sitting in the office and it's somebody's just done a great job on a project or maybe not such a great job on a project, sitting down with them face to face and saying, hey, I think you did well here, but here's what you need to work on. I think it's going to be really key. I like the writing aspect of it, um, you know, constructive or positive, just being able to, like, keep that and, like, look at it and, like... Well, and I think it forces the person writing it, if they do it well, it forces the person to that's writing it to really think um, proactively about how to, to phrase it. And to your point, you're going to keep that if you're on the receiving side and read it and read it and read it. And even as a, a reviewer, when I do year-end and I kind of see what I did last year and, and the goals and stuff, it, ha it helps me. But I do think it, having something in your hand never hurts. You guys just touched on a lot. Uh, I think I agree with you both. And maybe it's just as we get older, we like to harp on the younger generations about, oh, they're soft. You know, they can't, they can't take the criticism. But I do see it in my peers and in myself in my earlier age. We do always try to, instead of understand our mistakes and progress from them, we like to try to justify them first. That's our knee-jerk reactions. Like, I was oh, way. well, I did this because of this. Mm -hmm. And like, really, a lot of the times, it doesn't really matter. Right. You like people to understand you and, and know why you made the mistakes, but hopefully we can all get past that. Cool, so we're back here again uh, with Bill and James talking about being comfortable with making mistakes uh, and being comfortable with receiving feedback, both negative and positive. And, Something that I was just beginning to touch on was that in my generation especially, we grew up with social media. I, it, it came into my life in high school and then in college a little bit. So, But kids now, like the people that we're starting to work with and the people that are coming out of college now, they grew up with social media. And that means that you're projecting the perfect version of yourself at all times, right? So you're crafting this image, this beautiful, you know, gold-plated, shiny image of yourself so when you do hear feedback, it, it hurts, it cuts, you know, tenfold, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's maybe a reason why people aren't comfortable hearing feedback. 
um, because it shakes you to the core because you start to believe what your Instagram feed looks like about yourself and you start to believe that you can never do wrong in the classroom or in a conversation whether it's in the workplace in relationships and anything like that so I think the younger generation needs to be cognizant of that that mistakes are not only are they okay but the only way to grow so I think it's a, a topic we could talk about for a while if you guys want to touch on it. Yeah, no, I, I agree with everything you're saying. And uh, I, I feel strongly about what you said about the social media piece. And I, I've you know experienced that myself as well. It, it got me thinking, and, and bear with me a little bit. I'll try to be quick here. But one of the things that I think about, and I have no idea how long it's going to take or if it'll even be something, but I think every person in their life goes through at some point realizing that like the training wheels are off or that, that their hands are finally on the wheel. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at it even not just from an individual standpoint, but like I've heard a lot of complaints about, you know, baby boomers or I shouldn't even label them. I just older generations needing to get out of the way. And I think it's going to be really interesting. We're now getting to a point where millennials and other generations are going to have to take over whether we're ready or not. And like, that's gonna be interesting because I've, I've talked about my own growing pains. We're talking about growing pains. And I think there's gonna be a, a, a chunk of people that are truly ready and I, I think we'll be ready and I hope that we're part of that group. I think there's gonna be a big chunk that projected this perfect image all this time. And now they're gonna actually have to take over and I just, I think that's really going to be something. Yeah, when the, when the mistakes start, <laughs> yeah. the shortcomings so, start. Yeah. And, and you are going to make mistakes. And, and, and maybe every generation has said that. Yeah, and, and <laughs> well, a couple things. First of all, you mentioned every generation does. I I don't know of any group that when um, you know the new groups came in, well, they don't work as hard as I do. They're lazier. They don't want it. And that that has been probably since time immemorial. But um, I, I do think it's going to be interesting when, when I'm, I'm the end of the boomers. Um, I'm 58, so I'm, I'm toward the end of the boomers, but um, there is going to be an interesting change. And one of the things that I find interesting, also kind of from a, a generational thing, is, you know, I mentioned that I went back to teach because I wanted to kind of give back. And if you talk with, again, millennials or whatever generation you want to put them in, I think most people do say, look, I want a job that's meaningful and I want to give back to the community and so forth. Well. One of the aspects of the boomers, if you look at them, or us, I should say, um, is we were very involved in the communities. We were very involved in social organizations, uh, community organizations, um, and so forth. And you look at who leads those boards or who leads the corporate giving or who leads that, it's all boomers. And one thing that I've been thinking of in that is, you're right, eventually we're going to be moved out of the picture. And for much of your group, um, you, you go about um, how you give back to the community certainly differently than we did. Um, and again, not, not bad, just different. And, and we used to kind of spread ourselves probably among several organizations, um, which I, has some benefits, but I think you lose some of your punch doing that. Um, but if you look in, in Milwaukee and, and who's been on different boards or who's been the major givers, it's the same players for the last two decades probably. Um, your groups, tend to focus on one organization and that's what you're going to work with, but um, are you now going to step up and are you truly going to take the lead? Because it's going to take time, mm -hmm. it's going to take money, and when the boomers go, that will be up to your generation to do that, and I'm not comfortable right now or convinced that you're 
generation is willing to put in the time and what's going to be eventually the resources. Now, part of it is just the age, you know, as, totally. as you get older. But I looked to your group, and before I was 30, I was uh, the treasurer for the board of the East Town Association, which is a downtown business association I was involved with, uh, the United Performing Arts Fund, and, and um, March of Dimes and things. And I think of all of the things that I do that, and I look at my former students that are at comparable to where I was and I don't quite see that and they'll say that they want to be involved and they want to make a difference but you know they're very interested in their careers and their families and you should be I'm not saying that you shouldn't but there needs to be a balance so kind of adding to that it's not just going to be taking over the corporations or the companies that uh, are involved but also the organizations and who's going to lead from the charitable side and, and the community side and I, I think again your groups have the right mindset it'll just be uh, it, it, but it's a little different when you are now using your time and your resources to, to do that and, and do it consistently. Yeah, I like that. And I, I, I've, I, I, it's weird. I guess we are talking about ourselves here. Like I, I think I'm up for the challenge. I, I think that millennials in general will figure it out. Um, I, it's the other thing I think about that is so interesting and it's a little morbid, but it's like in order for us to really truly take over you said it yourself, like the yeah. other generations have to be moved out. They do. And it's it's like that, you know, I, I don't want to say a bad trip or a bad memory or <laughs> it's the wrong word to use, but like you come to the end of something and you, you get what you finally want and you want to go back to the beginning and then get to that same point again. And like, you're not gonna be able to do that in this case. It's right. gonna be like, okay, like it's now, like you broke it, you bought right. it, it's yours. Right. And so part of me is like, yeah, I want it, but like, mm -hmm. I also want some advice or I want you guys. And so I, I'm, I'm much more cognizant of that. And I think other millennials are as well. I, look, so. I, I'm confident that you guys will figure it out some way. But to your point, there's going to be, I think, a big kind of stumbling block. There's going to be the mistakes. There's I agree. Be I fully that. agree with that. Um, it won't be as maybe of a smooth transition as it's been, but we always survive, right? The world will keep turning. I yeah. figure it well, yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. Uh, I, I, want, I know we, we probably should get on to some funner topics, more fun topics. More fun than this? I, I find it hard to believe. Generational uh, oh, that, pessimism? That sounded, pretty, yeah, <laughs> well, that sounded pretty fun to me. Sure. Oh, I think it was valid. Uh, I, I don't mean to justify it again. I wish I could edit that part out. But we have you here because of your reputation and because of your history of helping people and students. Final advice on anybody age 22 to 40 that is taking on challenges, moving into a new career, just what, what, if you could tell them anything, what would you tell them? Whew. Okay. Um, if I could tell them anything, um, I, I think it would be that, and, and to get out of your comfort zone. Um, that is the toughest thing to do, um, but it is the most important thing that you have to do in order to, to survive. Um, very early on in my career, I had a, a mentor at Deloitte that um, looked after me and made me do a stint in New York. Um, I did about a three-month stint uh, working um, a little bit out of the, the old uh, World Financial Center, but I worked with financial clients, a stockbroker. And I was about three years into my career, had zero desire to go to uh, New York City and actually have to stay there and figure it out. And uh, he really I didn't say no, but I think I tried everything I could to get out of it, and he made me go. Um, I look back at that, and that is the best thing that happened because I was by myself. Um, I was in New York City. I had to figure it out, um, and it it 
I was dealing with a different type of clientele. Obviously, the New York clients are a little different than the Wisconsin <laughs> yeah, weird, ones. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's funny how that works. Um, but but that was was the best thing that happened to me. And then you know then it's little things like that. It's it's doing a presentation in front of a board that you've never done before. It's it's meeting one on one with a senior uh, president or CEO of a company because you're. Um, the auditor that has to do that. It's those sort of things, but it's all that stuff that's uncomfortable that you have to do or you're never going to progress. Um, and again, sometimes uh, people need to give you a shove, but in my respect, I've always said the answer when somebody presents the challenge to you should not be no. Um, maybe it's not the right challenge at that time, but the answer is never no. It should be yes or hey, let's think about it. I want to make sure I understand it, but in all possibility, make it a yes. Um, I, again, anything that makes you uncomfortable is probably the best thing that I can say to help progress. One of my favorite quotes of all time, your comfort zone is a beautiful place, but nothing ever grows there. True. Right? So you think yep. about it like a garden. Like it's a, It might be this beautiful garden with you know trees that are 50 years old, but nothing new is going to grow there. Mm -hmm. So if you're comfortable with your life and how it is, because we are creatures of habit yep. and we love routines, we feel good when we have a routine. You know, you wake up, you eat the same healthy foods, you go to the gym, maybe you feel like you've got it all down, right. but you're not really growing in areas that you might. So stepping out of the comfort zone is easier said than done. Oh, but much. Of much. course. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I'm an accountant. I mean, accountants fear change. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, are you kidding me? We, we, I, we, 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 we like our month end closes. We got our year end closed. We like those right. things. Um, so you're, you're talking to you're, you're the best pretty, accountant ever. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But you, you got to do it. You just have to. Mm -hmm. I, I love it. I agree. Yeah. So you're right. We did go deep on some stuff. I think we've got about seven minutes left on this second segment here. Let's talk about some fun stuff. Let's talk about Whitewater. I know we all enjoyed the bars. What's your favorite bar? Where did you spend the most time? As a I, student and as a professor yeah, for you, I guess. That's it. Did it change? Well, I, I, as a professor, I guess I went out a couple of times. I would only usually go out about once a semester. because yeah, I, I don't remember seeing and then I And then I kind of did away with that. But I can tell you as a student, my favorite bar was the pumping station. Now, it looked at, Pumpers looked a little different. It wasn't connected to Mitchell's back at the okay. time, um, so they were separate owners. I've never heard of it called Pumping Station. Yeah, my dad calls it Pumping it's the, Station. It was originally the Pumping Station. Oh. That's the yeah. Okay. history lesson, right? The oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's oh, what I, we're here for. Yeah, the old, <laughs> I know all the old bar names. Um, so it was the Pumping Station because that was the senior bar. Um, because back when I was there, drinking oh, yeah. age was 18, so I couldn't get those underage yes. drinkings that you guys probably got, but we won't talk about <laughs> on the podcast. Um, but um, but no uh, the pub the pub was uh, still there. That was the freshman bar, and Mitchell's was the townie bar. So you went only went there for dime tappers. Yeah, yeah, dimers. Yeah. Yep. Um, pumping station, and then the only other original one that I think was still there is Brass Rail. Now, the other bars were there, but they all had kind of different names. Sure. But pumping Station. Yeah. Oh, I, that's interesting. So my favorite bar was Coyote. Uh, mm -hmm. I had a roommate and a close friend of mine, still a close friend of mine. She was a bartender there. And so we would just, we were in and out. We started the night there. We checked in there. We ended the night there. We were there when Do the you remember half of the nights there? <laughs> Some of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then it was interesting. So Pumping Station or Pumpers, whatever you want to call it, that was closed when I was there, but then it reopened as Pumpers, and it was connected to Mitchell's. It was yes. Pumpers and Mitchell's, but oh. I, I was part of many Dimers nights on Tuesdays. Tuesdays, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you? Well, I hope my uh, 
old track coach isn't watching this because we had our weekly drinking routines. We would go out on, well, this isn't every week, but Tuesdays was Pumpers and Mitchells. Yeah. Wednesdays was obviously the pub, okay. correct? Because uh, they had all you can drink. I don't remember. No, the see, pub? The, you know, I, mean, I went to the pub. I, I wasn't yeah. a big, like, that yeah, wasn't was my favorite. all you can drink for like eight bucks or something like that. Hmm. So I'd have about 10 Long Islands and just call it a mess. Uh, <laughs> so then you didn't remember the end of the night. <laughs> Correct. Good. Uh, okay. So, God, that's and then, a night and then, you had a choice. You know, but but if, I, if I had to pick my favorite bar, we spent a lot of time at the bore just because we had oh. friends that worked there and things like that. And then towards the end of my time at Whitewater, Ground Zero took over what was the downstairs. Yeah, downstairs. Oh, okay. Yeah, so spent a lot of time there, but I wanted to bring up because you mentioned something. The drinking age was eighteen mm-hmm. when you were there. Yep, twenty-one for you. Oh yeah. However, you could still smoke cigarettes in bars when you were oh, there. Oh yeah. So I never lived through that. Yeah. I know I wasn't twenty-one when that was a law. So you're saying in Whitewater you could just be smoking cigarettes you in the go, pub all day long. You would go in. Yeah. I remember in winter time. Oh yeah. Um, because every now and then you'll still smell it, and it's it's a very distinct smell of like cold air mixed with cigarette smoke. Because, yeah, you would, you would come home from the bars and you would just read, like, you'd have to wash your hair the next day. You'd oh. have a bar jacket that you'd yeah. wear. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, every, every, everybody, bar jacket. oh, God, yeah. Every, everybody smoked. Well, yeah, because, did or not, right. Was, every, oh, yeah, every bar was. was so if you, you could try to keep a different jacket, but they all smelled oh. completely like smoke. So you had to keep God, the bar jacket. people, you'd be smoking a cigarette, oh, yeah. playing pool, not even knowing what you were doing half the time. Well, and half the people in the bars didn't smoke normally. They only smoked when, when they're they went drinking, to a bar. Right? Yeah. That's everyone's favorite excuse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's fun. Uh, honestly, I'll tell you, well, you know what? This is going to be shown publicly. Never mind. <laughs> you sure? You know what? People in on it? Maybe off camera. Is better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. Cool. Probably most of your things off camera isn't a bad thing, is it, yeah, James? quite a few. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, anything else you want to talk about? Um, current current day stuff, COVID, anything? What are you doing now? Let people know what you're up to. Oh, now. Um, well, still got Buck season tickets? I, I do, and hopefully sometime I'll actually be able to get to Pfizer for them, and yeah. hopefully they'll figure out if they're going to win by 50 or lose by 20 once, once uh, the season gets going. So, yeah, I still have my Bucks tickets. Um, I still work for James Craig Builders, the home builder that I had worked with um, when I was teaching. Um, and now I fill my days where I used to be teaching. I head up to the Sheboygan Falls area and work for a company called Lakeside Pepsi. We're the Pepsi distributor for Sheboygan, Manitowoc, Calumet counties and uh, work for a friend up there doing some operations kinds of things. So a lot, very different, yeah. but a lot of fun. Um, Good, still new challenge. It. Yeah, so I, I have my... Out of your comfort out, zone. I got out of my comfort go. zone, but I, I but but I still have that little comfort zone back here. So, but yeah, it's been fun and it's been enjoyable. So. I got one more question. Okay, who and it doesn't have. It's not me. Who is your favorite student of all time? Oh, that's not fair. That's tough. You're gonna well, alienate, alienate a lot of students. Yeah, here. <laughs> this is, there is. I cannot answer. I'll, I say I would just say you because that's a lot safer than what's gonna happen. Not that I really think that a ton yeah, of my students are gonna be watching, but if I say one, then I'm sure I'm gonna get pinged for that. So mm-hmm. I, yeah, I'm not. That's it's a nice try. That's probably the right answer. <laughs> that was. Oh, are you kidding? That was the right yeah. answer. I, I'd be killed. Ever get back to it to teaching? You think? Uh. White water or somewhere else? Yeah, no, uh, yeah, and it's not. I, I, I think no. I think I'm, I'm one of those guys um, that kind of it's a little been there, done that, mm-hmm. and I like to try some new things and, and keep moving along. So nothing wrong with teaching. Loved it. Loved my time. Mm-hmm. Um, would 
it, it was great. And I, I was able to meet, quite frankly, uh, people like James and a lot of folks that, as I said at the start, I'm very fortunate to be around. But nah, time time for new things. Yeah. Got to keep got to keep changing and growing. Yeah. Well, you said. I mean, I don't know how many more people you can meet and stay in touch with. It's yeah. a full time job. Twelve yeah, students with with it the is. level of connection that you like to keep with your former students. I feel like that's got to be a lot of work. It keeps me busy, but it's it's that's fun busy. Yeah. I do that all the time. The first time you and I sat down, we talked about that and how you have to be intentional and proactive about keeping those connections in your life because you never know and not to be selfish about it but you never know how it'll benefit you in the long run not even just from a friendship standpoint but the connections you make and the opportunities that will arise from that we only have two minutes left but you know i i i, I that is a huge part of my life uh, people that know me know that i stay in touch whether it's through christmas cards i send about 100 old-fashioned christmas cards i probably sent 40 or 50 texts around christmas to wish people a merry christmas i stay in and and I see somebody get a promotion on LinkedIn, I'll do that. Um, you have to be proactive. And I think the, the, you, you should want to do it. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's part of the fun part. But to your point, you don't know when you may need somebody or somebody may pop up. And I'm a big believer in, in keeping networks going. Um, I think it's great from a personal perspective, but I think it's, it's vital for a professional perspective. And when I look at my jobs, I kind of chuckle because I got them either because of well, honestly, almost all because of people that I know. But I've been able to help other people get jobs the same way. So, yeah, I, I think it's crucial both professionally and personally. And so big recommendation cool. to keep doing that. Awesome. Well, those are good discussions. I appreciate you both. Hey, thanks for having me. This yeah. has been a lot of fun. Thanks for coming in. Um, go Warhawks. Bye, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you. Thank you, Tabin. Yeah, thank you. Thanks.